Birdman is the fictional story of a washed-up Hollywood actor named Riggin Thompson, who became famous back in the 90s as the superhero of three blockbuster movies called Birdman. Roughly 20 years have passed since then, and things have not gone well for Riggin Thompson. The aging process, of course, has physically changed him. His wife has left him, his daughter just got out of rehab, and he's run out of money. And just like the flaming comet that we see hurtling toward the earth throughout the movie, Thompson himself is a star that appears to be flaming out, trying desperately not to disappear, but fearing at the very core of his being that he will disappear. And so to revive his career, Thompson acquires the rights to write and direct and star in a Broadway adaptation of Raymond Carver's famous short story, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. And so he goes all in. He is obsessed with proving that he's more than just a washed-up Hollywood comic strip actor. He wants to show the world that he's a serious actor. And so he puts his reputation and his financial fortune on the line. This production, he hopes will vindicate him, it will make him relevant again, and it will validate him uh, as an actor. On the other hand, if he fails, he'll go down in flames, humiliated, and his legacy will be just that guy who used to be Birdman. There is, of course, irony in all of this. Michael Keaton plays Riggin Thompson, who Keaton himself starred in the first Batman movie in 1989 that really kicked off all of the superhero movies since then. And like Thompson, uh, Michael Keaton's own career has been less than meteoric uh, since then, and it has somewhat been revived by this particular movie. This movie walks us through the days that are leading up to the play's final preview, in which the New York Times theater critic will be in attendance, and on whose uh, singular written opinion This production will either be a critical and box office success or a complete and utter failure. And unfortunately for Riggin Thompson, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And he seems to be experiencing a mental breakdown uh, from the pressure. Now, I have to tell you, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Anybody here, how many of you have actually seen this movie? Raise your hands. Okay, a few of you have seen the movie. Um, I, in, I enjoyed this movie, and I think if you were to allow your humanity to connect with Riggin Thompson, I think that you would find that in many ways, everybody here could identify with that character and the things that are troubling him. For instance, let me just start with the most basic point of connection uh, that I can find with uh, Riggin Thompson, the character. Uh, here it is. It's this. We all want to be loved. Isn't that true? That we all just, we all just want to be loved. Uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the, the play in the movie was an adaptation of a Raymond Carver short story. Carver was a short story writer, but he was also a poet uh, who died in 1988. And at the very beginning of the movie, before we even meet Riggin Thompson or any of the other characters in the movie, we're treated to a, uh, a snippet of a poem from Raymond Carver himself that is said to be carved into his tombstone. And I think this poem sort of, I think this snippet of the poem really frames the whole movie for us. And it, and it goes like this. It says, uh, And did you get 
what you wanted from this life. Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To feel myself beloved on the earth. Is there anyone here? Anyone here who doesn't want that? Or can't identify with that? All all of us want that. You may have been a follower of Christ for 50 years, or you may be here on the arm uh, of a friend, and this is the first time that you've ever been in a church. But who, who here doesn't want to be and to feel uh, beloved? In fact, many would argue that, that that's the driving motivation behind, behind all human behavior, that many of the things we do, both good and bad, are simply things that we've come to believe will make us loved. Near the end of the movie, uh, by the way, this isn't a spoiler. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. It's just near the, near the end of the movie. There is this uh, scene in the play in which Riggan Thompson's character forces his way into a motel room in which he finds his wife in bed with another man. It's raining outside. Uh, he's dripping wet. And he's, he's pointing a gun at them. And, and he says to his wife words that, that feel like that they're really uh, Riggan Thompson's, but they're being voiced by the character that he plays in the play. Okay? And he says this. He says, he says to her, What's the matter with me? Why do I always end up having to beg people to love me? I just wanted to be what you wanted. And now I just spend every minute trying to be something else, something I'm not. And then he begins to cry, and, 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 he, and then he says, he says, I don't exist. I'm, I'm not even here. Not, I'm not even here. I think there's something very honest and profoundly human about that scene. And, and I'll bet that there are many of you here this morning who are listening or, or, or maybe who are, who are listening to this uh, online who, who have felt that same thing or who have said those same words to someone. Maybe it was to a, maybe it was to a father who was never around. Or if he was around, uh, maybe he never seemed to like you. He just always had the thought that he didn't like you. Maybe you've experienced a lover who left you for someone else in spite of how hard you tried. Maybe, maybe you know the feeling of trying to change yourself for someone else, trying to be what they wanted, and it was, it was never enough. They just always seemed to look right past you. I'll bet some of you know that feeling. Maybe you sacrificed your dignity or your integrity in some way to get someone to love you, and, and, and yet... Even though you did that, your love was unrequited. I think most of us know that feeling, at least, even if we've never spoken the words out loud that he spoke. I think we know that feeling. Christian, not a Christian, is just very human to want to be loved. Or, or maybe here's another here's another point of connection that I think you could get, you could have with Riggan Thompson in this movie. Besides wanting to be loved, um, we all want to feel like our lives matter. Isn't that true? We all want to feel like our lives matter. And that's, that's one of the very important themes that this movie deals with. There's a, there's a scene in the movie in which a very subtle uh, irony plays out. You remember Riggan Thompson now, remember he's an actor. 
and he's wrestling with, with, you know, he's wrestling with big questions, ultimate questions, existential questions. And so there's one scene, he's walking along the street, and a man whom we really don't know whether he's real or just a figment of Thompson's decaying mind, this guy is acting out a scene on the street, on Broadway, from Shakespeare's Macbeth. And he says these uh, lines, very recognizable, you probably know these. He says, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And I found it very ironic that at the moment the actor, Riggan Thompson, walks by, this man is quoting these lines. I think, if, I think if you were honest with yourself, I think all of us wonder about these things too. Does life matter? Does it mean anything? Do I matter? Do I matter? Will I be remembered by anyone? What will my legacy be? Or will I even have a legacy? I think all of us wrestle with those questions. Or, or at least we would wrestle with those questions if we'd turn off our iPhones and, and our TVs and our iPads and our computers or show up at a church that routinely asks those questions. I think all of us would wrestle with those things if we'd let ourselves wrestle with them. Sometimes I wonder if our frantic attention to all of our electronics is just a way to avoid asking those kinds of ultimate questions. But I do believe that down deep somewhere all of us wonder if our lives matter. And so to combat the sneaking suspicion that all of us have in our souls that our lives are kind of meaningless... We latch on to something or to some things that we believe will give our life meaning. And, 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 so, and we cling to these things and we sacrifice everything for them and we live them and we breathe them. For Reagan Thompson, this thing that he is willing to sacrifice everything for, that he clings to, that is his hope for his life, is being known as a serious actor. Man, he believes that if he can just be seen as a, as a serious actor, he believes that he can, he, if he could break the bonds of mediocrity that have held him back, he, he believes that he will soar in the rare air that only birds and gods ever experience. He will be validated as a person. He will be loved, and his life will finally matter. For Regan Thompson, it's, it's being known as a, as a serious actor. But what is it for you? All of us have something that we think, if I could just have that, if I could just be that, if I could just do that, uh, my life would be validated. My life would have meaning. And we all have something like that. For some of you, it's having a, a healthy, perfect family. If you could just have that, if you could just have a healthy, perfect family, then everything will be fine. Your life will have meaning. You will be validated. For some of you, it's a bank account. It's a certain amount of money in a bank account. Some of you, it's having a husband. For some of you, it's being known as a strong Christian, whatever that means. For some of you, it's having a hot young wife. For some of you, it's having a successful career, whatever. We all have, we all have something like this that we think will validate us and that will give our lives meaning. And the Bible has a word for this. 
The Bible speaks about this. It has a word for this thing that we do, these things that we cling to, that we long for, that we put our hope in and our trust in. The Bible has a word for it, and the word is idolatry. In our culture, we call it addiction or maybe obsession. And those, those are good words. I mean, they really are. But the Bible uses the word idolatry to describe it. And here's the thing about this movie. I, 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 listen, I suspect that none of, the, none of the people involved in the making of this movie would describe the movie in the way that I'm going to describe it in just a moment. But, but let, me just, let me just explain. If you, if you, if you filter this movie th- through a theological point of view, here's what I think the, the movie is. Okay, Here's what I think it is. And if you've seen it and you didn't understand it, or you didn't like it, maybe this will, maybe this will help re-kind of shape the movie for you. I think that Birdman, when you view it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a poignant meditation on the disintegration of the human psyche that results from idolatry. That's what I think Birdman is. I think it's a very poignant meditation on the disintegration of the human psyche that results from idolatry. And again, they wouldn't say that. I promise you, if you read reviews, you're not going to see that in any of the reviews. This is what I, I really believe. If you, if you look at the movie through a, uh, a biblical worldview, I think that's what you get. I think that's what this movie uh, is about. And let me, let me just explain what I mean. In the very first of the Ten Commandments, God addresses the first commandment. He addresses the single foundational problem of all humanity. And here's what it is. It's that we are by nature idolaters. That's the single foundational problem of humanity. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. He said, I'm the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. All of the other issues that God addresses in the next nine commandments flow out of this first commandment, flow out of this reality that we are all, by nature, idolaters. Now, I realize that there are some people who, uh, who would object to this. They'd say, well, I, you know, look, I don't worship anything. I'm agnostic or I'm, I'm an atheist. But, but I will tell you this. If you analyze their life a little, and I promise you, you will find something that they worship. All of us have something that we would and probably have given anything for. And every problem that we have in our lives is because we value something more than we value God. We have this saying around here, it goes like this, that, that um, good psychology is good theology made personal. I promise you that if you will look back, if, you, if you'll if, if you look at all the stuff in your life that you're unhappy with, the relationships that have been broken, and, and the, the habits and the addictions and the things that you can't stop, I promise you that if you trace them back, they will go back to something that you idolize, that you trust in, that you value more than God himself. I promise you that. And you see, here's something that you need to understand about idolatry. It's this, that idolatry pathologically intensifies normal emotions and it makes them debilitating and devastating. Let me say that again for those who are listening. Idolatry pathologically intensifies normal emotions 
And it makes them debilitating and devastating. And that's what this movie so poignantly illustrates. And if you think about it, Riggin Thompson sacrificed his marriage and he sacrificed his daughter for money, for fame, for celebrity back in the 90s. Now, here he is 20 years later. He's even sacrificing what is left of his personal fortune. He's sacrificing his reputation. He's even sacrificing his sanity to be known as a serious actor. He's driven. He's obsessed with this notion of being recognized, being known as a serious actor. He's so blinded by getting one critic's approval, which he believes will validate his life and his existence, and it will vindicate him. He's so blinded by that, he can't see that his ex-wife still loves him, and that his daughter needs him and wants him in her life. And this obsession is, is causing him not only to lose these relationships in his life that should matter the most, this obsession is also causing him to lose his mind, emphasized in the movie by the uneven schizophrenic drumbeat that underscores all of his, all of his movements. That's what's going on you know, in his head. Thompson has this, he has this voice in his head that we can hear all the way through the movie speaking to him. It's the voice of Birdman. It's kind of a it's kind of a, a perverted voice of Birdman. Okay. On the one hand, this voice tells him that because of his past celebrity, it tells him that he's a god. And at times, uh, Thompson does seem to be delusional in his belief that he is that he's a god. When he's alone, and I don't know if those of you who saw the movie, or if you haven't seen it yet and you're going to go see it, just watch this, notice this. When he's alone and only when he's alone, he likes to think that he has superpowers, like telekinesis and the ability to fly, to levitate, to defy gravity. Okay? But only when he's alone. Only when no one else, see, no one else sees those things about him, of course, because he doesn't really have superpowers. He's just delusional in his godlike thinking, sometimes. On the other hand, there's also this other voice, this other, it's the same voice, but this other side of the voice, maybe I should say it that way, that also shouts these horrible soul-withering criticisms in his head, telling him that he's worthless, that he's a disgrace, that he's a joke, and that he's going to be humiliated as a, as a, as a failure. And in one scene, he's just so fatigued by that voice that he destroys his dressing room with an anger that seems otherworldly, actually. And it leaves him with this debilitating fatigue and even a, a cynicism that leads him, in the end of the movie... To well, I tell you what, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what he does in the end of the movie because I don't want to. I, I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to spoil the end for those of you who haven't seen it. But I will say this much. Um, whatever those of you who've seen the movie, whatever you think happened at the end of the movie, I think it depends on your view of reality. I'll say that much. Okay, I think it depends on your view of reality. And um, I'm going to write more about that in our blog this week. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, don't read the blog. But if you have seen the movie, I'll write more about my thoughts about what happens in the end of that movie if you're, if you're interested in that. Okay. 
But I think what this movie is, is that it's a poignant meditation on the destructiveness of idolatry. Idolatry pathologically intensifies normal emotions, and it makes them debilitating and devastating uh, to your life. And this movie is a meditation on that reality. That's what I think it is. And again, nobody would say that. Uh, none, of the, none, of the character, none of the actors would say it. None of the writers, the director, nobody else would say that. But I think if you look at it from a Christian worldview, I think that's exactly what that movie is about. Now look, the movie, the movie wasn't a sermon. Um, this is. What I'm doing is a sermon. Okay. So the movie didn't have the same responsibility to wrap up in a way that, that, that I have on a Sunday morning. I want to wrap this talk up in a way that you can walk out with a sense of hope that if you saw the movie Birdman or if you're going to see the movie Birdman, you probably didn't walk out from or you won't walk out from the movie with. And here's what I want you to think about. Okay? I, just, I just want you to think about this as, as we wrap this up. Regan Thompson was willing to sacrifice everything. And the purpose of all of that sacrifice was to elevate himself, was to make himself greater, to soar in the rare air that only birds and gods can fly in. He was willing to sacrifice everything for that. In other words, he, was, he wanted to aspire to greatness by ascending. That's how he wanted to be remembered, as someone who soared above everyone else. And that makes sense to us, right? Because that's kind of, that's, that's, how, the, that's how the world uh, rolls. Aspire to greatness by ascending. You move up the corporate ladder, right? You, you, you rise above your peers. You exalt yourself. You get to a place that no one else is at so that you can look down on everyone else. That's, that's how the world rolls, right? And so that makes sense. But as he so often does, and by the way, it's the reason that around the room we have these banners. One says believe, experience community, but then the third one says unlearn. We, you know, when you believe in Jesus, all of a sudden you realize that Jesus, as, Jesus flips what seems like common sense upside down. Like you have to unlearn so much of what you thought was true about life when you come to Jesus. And one of those things that he turns upside down, that you just, like, like you have to unlearn it, is he, he, says, he says, no, uh, the world doesn't work that way, that you aspire to greatness and that you soar above everyone else. That's, you, you don't aspire to greatness by ascending. You know, Jesus Jesus would, would tell us that, that a world that acts like that is a world that destroys itself in insanity. You don't ascend to greatness. Jesus would say exactly the opposite, that you descend into greatness. Right? And he, and he models that for us. Jesus, who had all of the greatness, who was the ultimate celebrity of the universe, who had all of the rights and the privileges of God, who was the darling of heaven, sacrificed all of that and descended for the sake of humanity. He could have kept all of that for himself, but he didn't. 
On the cross, he even sacrificed his life for the sins of humanity so that we could, so that we could live. He was grounded so that we could fly. On the one hand, you have this life in the movie that is debilitated and devastated by the idolatry of greatness and the adoration that comes with it. And on the other hand, in Jesus, you see a life that has radically changed the world, that has left a legacy that will go on forever by sacrificing greatness and descending for the sake of humanity. This is the Bible's claim that the one true God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And that he calls us to worship him. And he offers us something very different. He offers us a life that is neither debilitating nor devastating. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, Jesus says, all of you who are weary, like Reagan Thompson, and maybe like some of you who are here today, who've been clinging to something and it has worn you out and you feel yourself just slowly slipping into the insanity of that that is just destroying your life, your mind, your relationships, everything around you. Come to me, Jesus says, all of you who are weary and who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he says. Why? Why is his yoke so easy and why is his burden so light? Because in contrast to the fleeting and capricious love that celebrity experiences, that goes up and down on the whims of social media and on the, you know, On the basis of one's performance today, Jesus' love isn't like that at all. Jesus' love for you and for me isn't like that at all. Jesus' love is enduring. And the fascinating thing is that his love is based on his performance, not mine. He lived the life that I could never live, and he died the death that I should have died. And he did it for an imperfect performer like me and for an imperfect performer like you. And so the ultimate question for you this morning is which God will you serve? Because we all serve some God. We all worship something. Is it the idol that you have that you've clung to? You you probably know what that idol is. If you don't, if you were coming to my class tonight called iChange, you'd learn how to trace back and figure out what your idols are. But if you're not not showing up to that, then that's your problem, not mine. But uh, will you hold on to that idol? Is Is that the God that you will worship? Or do you worship the God who's revealed himself to you in Jesus Christ? whose love never changes, whose love always endures, and is based on his performance, not on yours. That's your choice. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning, we're reminded through a movie 
that idolatry destroys. And I confess to you my own uh, idols. I have my own idols, and everyone in this room does. Or we recognize that we affirm today that idols can destroy. Um, they pathologically intensify emotions that become debilitating and destructive in our lives. Destroy relationships. I know I've, I know my idols have destroyed relationships, have threatened other relationships, have hurt relationships. And I confess those to you. I confess that to you. And everyone here in the room could do the same. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be free from those. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to be bound to you, not to those idols. And I thank you for what you've done for me on the cross. That you've taken this sinner and that you love me through all of my sin, with all of my sin. And I thank you that my relationship with you and others here could say the same thing is based not on my performance on a day-to-day basis because it's up, it's down, you know, it just changes all the time. I thank you that I thank you that your love for me is based upon your performance, not mine. Lord, if there's anyone here today who maybe they've never come to a point where they, they, they've understood this, they, they, they've never come to a point where they've believed in you, would you, through the power of your Spirit, would you just convey to them that you love them, that they matter? Lord, would you convey to them that you offer to them a life that is neither debilitating nor devastating? And it comes through belief in you and what you did, the life you lived, what you did on the cross. And that when they believe in you, when we believe in you, that the life that you offer can never leave us. No matter how we perform, it never leaves. Lord, I thank you for that truth. We exalt you as the the celebrity of the universe, the object and the subject of life. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we worship and pray. Amen.